And his one goal in writing was to give you certainty in a world of doubt. Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. I was telling the congregation last night, uh, our Saturday evening crowd, that uh, after much prayer, prayerful thought, thoughtful prayer, and godly counsel, uh, Nancy and I have decided to resign from our position here at Desert Breeze Community Church. And of course, they called us on it because it was April Fool's Day. So. April, April Fool's, did, you, did I get you? Okay. And then I said, guess what we're talking about this weekend? Integrity. So after lying to you, turn, to your, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 37 through 49. Certainty in a world of doubt, Gospel of Luke, talking about integrity. No, you guys are stuck with us, sorry. But uh, anybody play any kind of, uh, any uh, April Fool's jokes on any of your friends? No? Anybody? Anybody here? Okay, cool. You liars, you. You guys were afraid to raise your hand because I'm talking about integrity here this morning. A man who is desperate for work applies to a zoo that he's heard has some openings. Well, it's a little unusual, but I do have something, said the zoo director. Our gorilla died some time ago, and we haven't had the money to replace him. If you're willing to wear a monkey suit and impersonate an ape, you've got the job. <laughs> it didn't feel terribly authentic, but the man figured a job's a job, so he signed on. And after a few awkward days, he began to get into the spirit of the thing. And soon, he became one of the zoo's prime attractions. One morning, he was swinging from one vine to the next with a little too much animation and inadvertently swung himself right over the wall into the cage next to his, which was occupied by an enormous African lion. The man could feel the lion's hot breath on his face. He knew he was a goner. Reflexively, he began screaming for help when suddenly the lion whispered urgently to him, shut up, you idiot, or we'll both be out of a job. <laughs> so we're talking about integrity, openness, honesty, transparency. Grab your sermon notes out there. We talked about last weekend that to become a Christian is not just to be reconciled to God, but also to be woven into a new a new human community, such as a, lo a local church family, uh, for spiritual growth and influence in the world. We talked about that last week. We talked about true, true community. If you weren't here with us, I'd encourage you to get the DB app or go online and listen to the message, because we talked about the values of those within that community, those that have given their lives to Christ, and this new community that we become a part of, the values of those within that community, how we relate to one another within that community. But we also talked about how we relate to those outside of the community by loving our enemies. And uh, we talked about that. Now, on your notes there, you see part of that intro, relationships, and that's what this is, is it's, it's talking about relationships. So relationships are only as healthy as the individuals that make up those relationships. Would you agree with that? Okay, so relationships are only as healthy as the individuals, the individuals that make up those relationships. Therefore, individual wholeness is the key to healthy relationships. So individual wholeness, you want, you want healthy? How many want healthy relationships? Okay, I, I think we all do. Work on you. 
Okay, that's, wow, that's kind of harsh. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, so if you work on you, and as you become healthy, you'll be able to become a facilitator of, of healthiness and wholeness in other people's lives. But if you start working on them, <laughs> it's not gonna work out so well, okay? If you start working on them and trying to get them to be healthy so that you can be healthy, it, it doesn't work that way. It works the other way around. So we work on us, we become healthy, we become healthy, and then we can create an atmosphere of health and, and know how to have good healthy boundaries and challenge those with, within our lives. And you'll be able to see that as we work through this, this text here. So individual wholeness is the key to healthy relationships, and individual wholeness is about integrity. It's about integrity. The Bible uses a different language uh, for wholeness. It uses, the, it uses the word holiness, sanctification. That's what we're talking about. And integrity, integrity. So three questions we're looking at this morning. What is integrity? Why is it important? And how to be a person of integrity? So last weekend, we're talking about this true community, our interaction with each other, and then our interaction with those outside of the community. And now he's really telling us the kind of heart that we need if we're going to have that kind of true community. We want to have true community and, and have healthy relationships. We as individuals need to have a certain kind of heart And that has to do with integrity. Before we take a look at this text and unpack these notes, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's ask for God's help. Father God, because we we have the assurance of your love no matter what, we can do a very courageous thing and live honest and transparent lives. Fear and pride can restrain our hearts, but only your love can can transform our hearts. And so we pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, may we be people of integrity. May we be people of openness, honesty, transparency, reflecting more and more the glory and the beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus. In his name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. So another thing, too, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the abbreviated version found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, compared to the more extended version found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So if you want to go into a little more detail with Sermon on the Mount, you can go there and look at that. But uh, as I said last week, a Sermon on the Mount cannot be read individualistically or moralistically. And what I mean by that. Uh, is that individualistically means that the kind of life change that God wants to do in your life and the impact that he wants to have in this culture cannot be done in isolation. It can only be done in community. So, So there's some growth that God wants to do in your life. You can't do it on your own. You need to be hanging out with folks. Oh, and by the way, you know this, it needs to be more than what you do here on weekend services. In our day and time of... Um, individualistic uh, attitude, this individualism, and also anonymity, we kind of like, and this is one of the things why churches, uh, mega churches continue to grow, and our church continues to grow to a certain degree, and, and we're kind of somewhat of an intimate setting here, and so we won't let you do this, but you can't just hide out here, okay? We're not going to let you do that. We're going to come after you, okay? We're going to come and get you. No, we, we don't want you to do that because it's not healthy, but that's why people, and I've talked to people, go to large churches, I've talked to people that come to this church. This is a re- relatively large church. And you can hide out here, but, but that's that value of anonymity and individualism which will sink your ship. And you're not gonna grow, nor can we together have that kind of an impact that we should have in, 
in our community here. We, we do that together. It's in true community. So you're not to read the Sermon on the Mount individualistically, and nor are you to read it moralistically, which means that we don't live this way to be saved. <laughs> He's not, Jesus is not laying this out because this is some really hard stuff. We're gonna, I'm going to hit you hard this morning. This is hard stuff. And he's not saying, oh, you've got to live this way to be saved. No, in fact, because we are saved, this is how we will live. The Sermon on the Mount assumes a new heart. So the new heart that you have in Christ as you walk in vital union and communion with him, this is what it's going to look like. So this is just tells you whether or not you're on track. If you're not on track, you just come back to, the, to your relationship with Christ and continue to cultivate that. And so that's where we're headed with this study. Let me read. It's a lengthy text. It's worth reading completely through. I'm not going to give you any commentary on it. Okay, maybe I'll just do a little bit. But uh, very little. In the first section, remember, we're coming out of love your enemies, and now he says in, uh, he's going to give us what integrity is, what, it, what is integrity. He's going to define it for us in this first section. He says, judge not. This is verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me help take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. That's pretty convicting right there. And uh, he's showing us what integrity is. And now we move to answering the question, why integrity is important. And that's these next verses, verses 43 through 45. And he says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. He's answering the question for us why it's so important. Talking about fruit bearing there, why we need integrity, and now he's going to answer the question, how to be a person of integrity, verses 46 to the end of the chapter, verse 49, he says, so why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell And the ruin of that house was great. 
This is the word of the Lord to us this weekend. Okay, we've got a lot of work to do here. So what is integrity, verses 37 through 42? Integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. That's your first fill in the blank. So integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy, verse 42. He says, he calls, calls them, calls us hypocrites, you hypocrite. The Greek word for hypocrite is actor, Actor. Actors in Bible days would use literal masks. They'd put a mask in front of their face, and uh, they'd put on a happy mask or a grieving mask or an angry mask, and the mask hid what you were really like. So you could be sad on the inside but have a happy mask on the outside. That was that idea behind the word hypocrite, being an actor. The mark of good acting is the part is not the same as the heart. So what's on the outside is not at all necessarily what's on the inside. That's that idea of of hypocrisy. And so integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Number two on your notes, all hypocrisy is play acting and mask wearing. So when you're being a hypocrite, it's it's really just about pretense, play acting, mask wearing. And, and, And that's great on stage, but it is devastating in community. It's it's devastating in relationships. When we do the play acting and mask wearing, it devastates relationships. It's not healthy for relationships. He says in verse 41, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the, what does he call it? The log. Now, this is supposed to be a little bit of Hebrew humor. We're not Hebrew. We don't get it, do we? I mean, he's, I mean, he's actually saying, why would you mess around with a little speck in someone else's eye and when you've got a telephone pole in your eye? That's literally what he's talking about. You've got a big old telephone pole, a, a, a weight-bearing beam. You guys know what a weight-bearing beam and a... These are weight-bearing beams right here in this room. They're, wearing, they're carrying a lot of weight there. He's just saying, you got, that's what you got in your eye. Now, why would he say that? I think there's a couple of reasons why he would say that. I think it's that we should be more preoccupied with our own issues rather than everybody else's issues. Shouldn't we? I mean, that's what he's saying. He said, you, you worry about you. Don't be worrying about the specks in everybody else's eye. And in fact, if you're worried about you, you're going to see that your, your issues, you're going to see your issues as being bigger than everybody else's issues. It's about taking responsibility. And uh, why would he say this? Why is he talking like this in the Sermon on the Mount as it relates to those who have changed hearts, transformed hearts, and those that have a relationship with Christ, that this is the difference it's going to make in our lives? Why would he say that? It's because uh, the sinful human heart naturally loves to do image management. And we naturally like to look at everybody else's problems and not our problems. It's much easier to kind of address the problems around us, and that's why he's saying that. Matthew 8, uh, 15, verses 8 through 9, Jesus even said about the religious leaders of that day, he says, these people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are where? They're far from me. They're, they're, finding, they're finding their little local church, and they're just kind of sliding in and hiding in the crowd and checking the church box and going through the motions without any emotion. It's all form and no substance. There's no true connection with me. It's all religious. It's all routine. They're going through the motions. That's what he's saying. And, and they're just wearing a face like they're, they're close to me, but they're not. That's what he's saying. Now, I started thinking about this. 
what do you hide behind? We all tend to hide behind things, and we do that because uh, we want to keep people at a distance from us and not really reveal what's going on inside of us. And uh, so what do you hide behind? What kind of play acting and mask wearing do you do? And I, I, I went through and I, I was able to uh, come up with, it's a short list, there's probably many more that could be found on this list, but let me walk you through just some things you might be thinking about. These are what would be classified as fig leaves, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about there? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, sin, what was the first thing they do? They put on the fig leaves. They're trying to cover up. We tend to try to cover up like this, and so we use spirituality, as was already mentioned. They worship me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. We go through the motions. We check the box. We do all of that. Another one here I find interesting is excessive superficial conversation. So if I could come in and we start interacting, and if I can dominate the conversation with just a bunch of superficial conversation, cliche conversation, sharing of facts, maybe opinions once in a while, but certainly never go down deep to our feelings and needs. We don't, we're not going to go there. But if I can control the conversation, then you never find out about me. I don't have to worry about you. And we just keep it on the kind of skimming the surface. That's one. We do that. So if you find yourself overly talkative when you're around people, it's probably being driven by a fear. Because you can kind of control the, the environment, control the conversation. That's just one. And uh, here's another one, humor. Is that when things get a little tense, you crack a joke. Yeah, everybody laughs. Oh, kind of. And, and, and by the way, sometimes that's, that's really appropriate. But man, when you do it all the time, you got to start thinking, wait a minute, that's a mask. You just don't want to get close to anybody. You're just trying to keep people at a distance. You crack a joke, everybody laughs. <laughs> don't have to ask you any tough questions. So we can use humor. We can use shyness and quietness. We can use brazen self-assurance. We can use chronic illness or intelligence. We intellectualize the spiritual matters without it ever really getting down deep into our heart. Or, or we can use ignorance, playing dumb. And then they don't call on us. Or, or we can use busyness, which involves perfectionism and, and workaholism. Or we can even hide behind our technology, our phones. Our computers, our TV, these are all motivated by shame. You may impress people with your play acting and mask wearing, but you won't, you won't make friends. And you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. And so, integrity is the opposite of hypocrisy. All hypocrisy is play acting and mask wearing. Here's what integrity is. Integrity is wholeness. It's wholeness. It's consistency and sincerity with no, no deception or pretense. How many are familiar with the word integer? It's kind of mathematical in math. You've, you've heard that word integer. Any math uh, teachers out there? So integer, what is integer? Anybody? It's a whole number. It's a whole number. Integer is a whole number versus a fraction. And so that it, it's really out of that word Integrity. So we're talking wholeness. It's without integrity, your life is fractured. Your life is fractured. So in, integrity is wholeness, consistency, and sincerity with no deception or pretense. So in other words, there's no disparity between, between what you say you believe and how you behave, how you're behaving your life. There's no disparity between your private life and then your public life. There's no disparity or gap between your internal, your thinking and feeling, and your external, your behaving. So, so here's some examples of this. So, so if, if you, let's just say that when you get around pro-Trump folks, 
you're like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's going to make America great again. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, yeah, and then you get around anti-Trump folks, and you go, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. What are we going to do? <laughs> so do you find yourself kind of flip-flopping based on the environment, kind of a chameleon? Probably best not to just say anything, huh? What, what do you think? I, I have relatives on both sides. I'm like, Dad, boy, we need Jesus, don't we? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, so... That, that might be a safe thing to say. I'm glad my hope's not in politics and the government. It's in Jesus. So, I mean, how about this one? When you're online, when you're online and someone posts something that you don't like, oh my goodness, the fangs come out. You're a lion. Oh. But then in person, you're a lamb. Because you can hide behind that computer. You can say some really vicious stuff. But then when they talk to you face to face, it's totally something different. See, there's a disparity between who you are there and who you really are in person. Or how about this one? I know you've told me many times before you trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You're not leaning upon your own understanding. In all your ways, you're acknowledging him, and he's directing your past. Praise God. You're living a victorious life. Then tell me, why are you so stinking anxious, bitter, and depressed? I didn't have to say stinking, though, did I? I was going <laughs> to... I just had to throw that in there. Yeah, but yeah, why? Why? Because there's a disparity. I understand that. I, I understand you're trusting God, but be truthful about the fact that maybe you're not living a life that's really displaying that trust in God. Because if you were, you wouldn't be so anxious. You wouldn't be so bitter. You wouldn't be so depressed, would you? I mean, if you're, you're trusting in the creator of the universe who loves you and adores you, gave his life for you. It just makes sense to me, makes sense to me that uh, you're not going to be that stressed out. But so, so there's that disparity. I call it the gospel gap. We all struggle. We all struggle with that. And so integrity is wholeness, consistency, and sincerity with no deception or, or, or pretense. And so let me ask you a very probing question, and please be honest with yourself. If you knew everything that you thought, said, and did tomorrow was going to be videotaped and then put on the internet for everyone in the world to see, would it make any difference in how you lived your life? I think if we were all honest, we'd go, it sure would. If I got cameras going around every moment of the day, as soon as I wake up in the morning, hi, praise God. <laughs> cameras are on. I mean, it would, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it make a difference? Come on, let's be honest. We're talking about integrity here. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I think it would make a difference, and it just shows that we, we tend to struggle with this gap between who we really are and what we try to portray to everybody else. My wife and I went to AMC 30 over here for a movie. It's been a few years now, and, and uh, I let her pick the movie. That was a mistake. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I don't, it wasn't a mistake. It was a good movie. But I remember going into the movie uh, and not really knowing what the movie was about. And it was one of the big movie theaters, you know, where we had the, kind of the bleacher seats. And the place was already packing out, so we're in there. And we walk in. It's kind of busy, and we're trying to find a seat. And as we, just as we walk in the door, someone says, yells out from the top, goes, Hi, Pastor Ray! <laughs> oh, gee. I go, I leaned over to my wife and goes, Is this a good movie? I said, if it isn't, we're busted. 
And so, to this day, my wife and I, when we go to movies, we go to Tempe or Mesa. <laughs> and believe me, if I go to Tempe and Mesa and I hear, hey, Pastor Ray, that's going to freak me out. <laughs> You're following me. No, we don't go to Tempe or Mesa. But I mean, it just I mean, it made me think. It's like, oh, my goodness. This is messed up. If this is a bad movie we just walked into, everybody in the movie theater knows that. Hey, who's this Pastor Ray? What church does he go to? This is a horrible movie. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I didn't even enjoy the movie. I was so worried about what I was portraying to everybody in the movie theater. So, I mean, we all do that. Now, Psalm 51.6, listen to what the psalmist says uh, here. This is David. He says, behold, you delight, you delight in truth in the inward being. Behold, God, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's check this out. This is David. This is David's psalm of repentance. After he played the charades, you know, the, the game, the mask-wearing game-playing of adultery, and then murdered a guy and did all that, and then he realized, wait, 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 man, I just played this game, and I got busted. And, oh, my goodness, God, I, I realized I lacked some integrity, some honesty in my heart. My heart was going astray, and I didn't even see that. I'm just playing a game here. That's what he's saying. Matthew 5, 8, it says... Uh, the psalmist, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's version. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, pure in heart, integrity, for they shall see God. And this is preceded by blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the context there is like, yeah, we recognize, man, we're sinful. We're a mess. And the pure in heart is just being willing to admit it. See, see, integrity is not so much about having your act together or being perfect in every way and being sinless. No, it's actually just about being honest about where you are and what's going on in your life. In fact, that's the next point in your notes. The real sin of hypocrisy is a refusal to live in honest repentance. See, no sin will completely break fellowship, ruin the church's witness, and destroy our relationship with God except the refusal to repent. John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit says that really the Holy Spirit's job is, is to convict us. So if you have truly a, a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit will convict you from time to time, like, like saying, hey, maybe this isn't a movie you should be sitting in here watching, okay? Or you shouldn't have said that. What you said doesn't bring honor and glory to me, and it was very destructive to that person. You need to go back and apologize. So that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it tells us in Romans 2, 5 that it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, because we recognize, oh my goodness, I'm on a road that's destructive. I'm bringing destruction into my relationships. I don't want to do that, and I want to get on track. See, it's his goodness. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. Of course we want to get on track. It just makes sense. I say, man, I'm not even living a way that honors you, and that's, that's suicidal, and so I want to get back on track, and so it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. First John 1, 8 and 9, the context there was fellowship. It's relationship with God. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, with God in us and then each other. And, and then it goes on, it talks about that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And why would we need the, the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all sin? Well, if we're walking in the light, light does what? It, just, it shows darkness. 
for walking in communion, union with Christ, it's gonna reveal darkness in our life. And that's why the verses, verses eight and nine, it says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You're not walking in the light. Because walking in the light's gonna expose the darkness that's in us, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as he begins to expose those things, we bring them to him and say, yeah, I agree. That's what confession means, agreeing with God as he exposes those things. See, that's integrity. That's integrity. It's being honest and open about, about your life. See, the mistaken belief that a person must clean up his or her own life in order to merit God's presence is not, is not Christianity. I don't know how many times I talk to people and I'll, I'll say, hey, hey, you ought to come to church. You ought to, you know, why don't you follow Jesus? Why don't you? And, and uh, this is how they respond. Well, okay. As soon as I get my act together, as soon as I start doing this, I got to I got to get some things cleaned up for whoa 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 time out what? No, you don't. What? You need to get your act together. You need to clean yourself up. No, you don't. You you come as you are. You don't get your act together. You don't get cleaned up. You don't obey, and then you're saved. You get saved, and then. And then you obey. He's the one that does the cleaning up. He's the one that transforms our life. So, I mean, so imagine that. So, so I come to faith in Christ, and I have access into the throne room of God, and I have all the resources of heaven, not based on my performance, based on his performance, based on what he's done. It's, it's by grace. See, and this is what separates Christianity from every every other belief system. I, I don't ever get tired of saying that. It's just, I, I absolutely love it because every other belief system, every other religious group, it's like, hey, you better toe the line. You better get your act together. You better, come on, what's wrong with you? Because that's the only way you can experience God in your life. That's what most religions say and, and, and many confused Christians might even say that too. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a works righteousness but Christianity is a grace, it's a grace righteousness. It's a, we have his favor, it's, it's unmerited, it's given to us because of the sacrifice of his son. Unbelievably indispensable and costly. Indispensable, no other way. Unbelievably costly, it was his son, the creator's son who died for you and gives you a perfect record and now you have access into the throne room of God. You, you can know him. That's amazing. That's, that's out of this world. That's what we have, have through Jesus Christ. And, and so we come as we are. He came to seek and to save those that are lost. That's you and I. And so this means, now listen to me, this means that the church will be filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go emotionally, morally, and spiritually. Does that make sense? Are you guys cool with that? You gotta be okay with that. You, you really do. Because so, the, so the church is gonna be filled up with a whole lot of messed up people. So look around. You're sitting around a lot of messed up people. Yeah. And, uh, and you've heard this before. This, and it's, it's not a bumper sticker. It's not a cliche. It's actually true. The church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. A hospital for sinners. Now listen to me. Everybody look up here. It's okay not to be okay. Okay? You can help me out there. Okay. It's okay not to be okay. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, 
is that there are two groups of people on this planet Earth currently. There are those that are not okay and know it, and they are running into Jesus' arms. And then there are those who are not okay and don't do it, and they're just medicating the heck out of themselves, chasing anything and everything in creation to try to deal with it. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Do you hear me? Don't use that as a cop-out. Well, it's just the way I am. If you had any idea what kind of upbringing I had, you'd be as messed up as I am. Okay, quit hiding behind that. That's probably just, you're just hiding behind. I, I'm not minimizing. You, you might have taken some major hits. There's no doubt about it. I understand that. But you can get beyond that. You can work through that by God's grace. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there because there's no sin or suffering on this planet that is a match for God's amazing grace. I'm telling you. He came to set us free. He came to, to redeem us. He came to love us. But you've got to be willing to admit, hey, I'm not, I'm not okay. I need, I'm struggling. I need some help. And yes, yes, when you do that, when you do that, you're a candidate to experience his grace. All you need is need. All you need is need. Oh, my goodness. God, I need you. I trust in you. I look to you. And so the more skillful we are at image management and hiding, the more the healing power of community is diminished and the more we are trapped in our loneliness, which is the devil's playground. Some of you here this weekend are thinking, oh my goodness, I feel all alone. Nobody knows, nobody cares. And you can say that and be coming here on a weekend service. You can say that and even be in a small group. But at some point, you gotta begin to say, hey, I'm not okay. I'm not okay, I'm struggling. I'm struggling financially, I'm struggling physically, I'm struggling spiritually, I'm struggling in my marriage, I'm struggling in this area of my life, and wow. Then you begin to open up and then people can begin to touch you at that level and minister to you and love you. And what you're gonna find, most of the time in that group, you're gonna hear someone say, oh, you too? Yeah, me too. See, vulnerability begets vulnerability. And as we begin to open up, we realize, oh my goodness, we need Jesus. Yes, we do. Aren't you glad we have a Savior? Yes. Praise God. Now, there's no healing in hiding, and so let's expose some of the junk that's in our lives. Now, if, you, if you're up to this point, you're, you're feeling pretty good. You won't after I get through with this list. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm just here to help you. And so here I've got a list here that I think it, we, can, we can actually, uh, I worked on this from uh, verses 37 through 42 because he hits us with some pretty heavy-duty stuff. And so this is what it looks. Evidence of play acting, lack of integrity, lack of wholeness and healthiness. So I'm, I'm, I'm real big on this. I was years ago a part of a church that was really unhealthy. And when I came out of that unhealthy church, I go, man, I gotta figure out what this whole thing called healthiness looks like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, because these people aren't very healthy. And be me hanging out with them didn't make me very healthy. So what does healthiness look like? And so here's kind of a list of what unhealthy looks, unhealthiness looks like. And so obviously the opposite of this would, would be wholeness or healthiness. But uh, for instance, do you find yourself being religious instead of having an authentic relationship with God? And I get this from verses 35 through 36. 
because we learned last week that an authentic relationship with God will give you the capacity to love, to love even your enemies. Now think about that. If you're really, if you're being lavished by God's incredible love, he's saying, wow, one of the marks that identifies you as my kid is that you love even your enemies. To be quite honest with you, I've not always been there. There's been a lot of times I've really struggled with people in my life. And so that kind of says, hey, wait a minute, do I have really an authentic relationship with God? Because it seems to me that if I did, I'm gonna have this capacity that otherwise I wouldn't have. So Lord, so when I find myself there, I gotta come back to my relationship with Christ. Is it authentic? Is it real? Am I walking with him? Do I know him? That's the first one. Next one is judgmental. Evidence of play acting. We're judgmental. It's a way to hide what you're really like while focusing on what's wrong with everyone else. It says in verse 37a, he says, judge not, condemn not. Now, let me just say, that's the world we live in. If you watch news nowadays, they don't report the news anymore. I mean, there might be a few channels that actually report the news, but for the most part, you get nothing but commentary, and most of that commentary is really divisive. It's very destructive. It's very condemning. It's all about judgment. It's all about cynicism and sarcasm. And not only that, just turn on late-night talk, talk shows. Oh, my goodness. You talk about cynicism and sarcasm and, and put-downs. That's our culture. That's our culture. It's an effort to try to boost ourselves. As we push everybody else down, it's a, it's a way to boost our our weak and wimpy ego and faltering self. Now, there is a difference between condemning and discerning because the Bible does say that we need to be discerning. Because I've had people quote that, judge not, brother, you shouldn't be judging me when I want to speak some truth to someone. They say, well, you're judging me. Well, no, actually, I'm not judging you. And so here's the difference between the two, and we need to be discerning but not judgmental. The difference between condemning versus discerning is attitude. Condemning comes out of pride. Discernment comes out of humility. Condemning is, is really more about being, trying to be hurtful. Uh, discernment is about wanting to be helpful. In fact, this is, let me just very quickly just show you what that would look like. If you're being helpful, you will speak the truth with such a melt-in-your-mouth sweetness that they will say, I don't agree with them, but I cannot deny that they love me. That make sense? Okay, that's, that would be discernment. Discernment is making a distinction uh, between right and wrong. And, 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 so, and the Bible says we need to do that, and yet it's how we do that. It's how we do that. And so, but our tendency is to be very judgmental, and that's part of that pushing, putting the emphasis on them rather than us and having to deal with it. And then unforgiving. It's impossible to forgive someone you, you feel superior to. And that's pride. And so unforgiving. Uh, Verse 37b, it says, forgive and you will be forgiven. And, uh, and I understand. I understand it takes some time to work through forgiveness. Depending on the level of, of hurt that you have, it may take maybe even years as you're working through that. I understand, and yet at the same time, I know this in my own heart that uh, I said it last weekend, and I would encourage you to listen to that message. Uh, if you have, haven't listened to it, uh, get the DB app or whatever, because we talked about true community. We talked about our interaction with one another and what that community looks like. But uh, I was going to say something. I just went through, lost, lost my mind right there. Anybody as old as I am when that happens to you? It's like, it's like, what the heck was I talking about? Just that moment. Oh, well. 
Forgiveness. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. I'm going to get a drink just to delay and act like I'm getting a drink and pretend that I really know what I'm talking about up here so that people think that, boy, that guy's really got it together. I don't, okay? I, I do th moments like that where all of a sudden... But forgiveness, and so this is what I find is that if I'm unforgiving this way, it's because I'm not living in the reality of his forgiveness of me. And as I said last week, and this is where I was going with that, okay. And I shared this with you last week, is that hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people, forgiven people, forgive people. And listen to me, whatever forgiveness you need to give and offer to others is nothing compared to what he's given to us. And when you don't live in the reality of that, you're not going to have that forgiveness to give, but that just shows you some unhealthiness going on in your life. And then there's also stinginess. You're stingy. People generously loved by, by God will love people generously, he says, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. And then, of course, this is a tough one, self-deceived. That's just a sign that we're self-deceived. You think you have it all together instead of admitting your weaknesses. So let me ask you this. Do you come across like you have it all together when you're in a group, when you're interacting with people? Like, I don't have any problems. <sighs> My wife and I, we never argue. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? What are you guys, you don't argue? You, hey, come over here. Let me check your pulse. <laughs> Even a wife? You don't argue? You have no conflict? I mean, said, so does it make sense? But I've been in groups like that before. It's like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that only to find out later on, yeah, they do, and they crashed and burned, and, and it's a mess. And so that's why he says in verse 39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Can a blind man? He's just saying, we're self-deceived, and we are typically always the last one to see our self-absorption and sin. One of the great shocks when you get married that all your life you've been told by your parents about your faults, you've been told by your siblings about your faults, you've been told by your friends about your faults, and then you get married and you find out they're all true. <laughs> Have you been talking to my parents? No. Have you been talking to my friends? No. Have you been talking to my siblings? No. These are true. I live with you. That's what your spouse is saying, and you're wondering, why didn't I ever see this before? Why didn't I hear this before? Because you've got denial and justification and rationalization, and you have blind spots. You do. See, there's things, and you have flaws that you don't see, but everybody around you sees them. And they're all wondering who's going to confront you over those blind spots. In my blind spots, I, my wife, uh, the first time she began to confront me over these, I threw a wall of anger. And then she, didn't, she couldn't deal with blind spots. She had to deal with my anger. She had to confront me over my anger and deal with that before she could even get into dealing with any other thing. And, uh, and so we're, we're self-deceived. Just, just listen, you are self-deceived. That's all there is to it. And you have blind spots, and there's no way you're going to see them on your own. You're going to have to see them through someone else. Someone else is going to have to talk to you and at some point, and they're going to reveal that to you. And you've got to be cool with it. Don't go through like 10 or 20 churches or 10 or 20 small groups before you figure that one out, okay? <laughs> I mean, after a while, I mean, I've, I've seen people say, oh, that's a, that's a terrible small group. How many small groups have you been to? About 20. 
and they're all terrible? Ooh, I got a common denominator here. And ain't the small groups. How about you? I think God's trying to work on your life, and you just don't see it. You just jump from one relationship to the next relationship, from one church to the next church. Come on, wake up. And then finally, I've even seen people just drop out of church completely. Oh, those churches are so mean. Well, maybe they're trying to do something to help bring sanctification to your life, and you're just not aware of it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And then, of course, stagnant. Instead of growing, he says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will become like his teacher. If Jesus is your teacher, you're going to become like him. Are you growing or are you just stagnant? And then disconnected instead of closeness and vulnerability. Verses 41 through 42, speck and log analogy assumes closeness and vulnerability. Are you close enough to see the specks in other people's eyes and for them to see the log in your eye? That's what he's talking about here. And then blame shifting. Oh, I love that one. That's a good one instead of taking responsibility. Now listen to me, even if you are only 2% responsible in the conflict with someone, you are still 100% responsible for your 2%. Make sense? Let me give you an, an analogy here, kind of a picture here. Let's just say that Nancy and I are having some conflict or some hurt between the two of us and that my... My wife, Nancy, is 98% the blame. Come on, hang in there with me with this analogy, okay? This is just a hypothetical. And let's just say that, uh, that I'm 2% the blame, which is pretty much pretty normal in our home. We're 98, 2%, 98%, 2%. Actually, it's probably the other way around. But this is my story so just hang in there with me just for a minute. Let's just say that it's 2%. And by the way, don't try to figure out percentages when you're dealing with conflict with people because it doesn't go very well. I know from personal experience. That looks like I own about 2% of this problem right now, and you own 98% of this problem. So get your act together, and everything will work out better, and then I'll work on mine. That doesn't work, okay. That doesn't work very good. But the Bible, this is what the Bible says. And this is a good question for you. The Bible says that, that whether you are the offender or the offended, which one should move first, the offended or the offender? What does the Bible say? Yes. 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 If you're the offender or the offended, it doesn't matter. You move towards reconciliation. It says that in, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Very clear. So you just move. You say, wait. I heard a little harshness from that person. I'm going to go and make sure everything's cool between us. So you, you move, or whatever it is. Or did I, did I say something to them? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to go and talk to them about that. Make sure, it's, make sure everything's cool. Now, it even gets worse for us guys. So, so that's what the Bible says in general, but, but the bar is even higher for men. It tells us in Ephesians 5, it says, in fact, that men are to do what? You guys know? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, my goodness. That is terribly convicting for me. I mean, when I, when I read that and I think about that, when you think out the implications of that, what does that mean? It means this, that Jesus Christ is sinless and yet reached out and reconciled his bride. He was sinless and reached out and reconciled his bride, the church. And he did nothing wrong but he initiated reconciliation. And when she did not respond to that reconciliation as he wanted, he let his life be taken from him to make her right. 
That's our Savior. So when he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So let's go back to my little story here. The least that I should do is when she's cold towards me and we see there's some conflict, that the way that I not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, as we talked about last week in uh, Romans 12, 21, I do that by reaching out to her and saying, honey, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me for my 2% contribution to this conflict? (laughs) No, don't say that. It will not go well. That just wrecked the whole apology. And, and don't do this either. Don't do this number either. So, honey, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And then wait for a few moments and say, do you have something you want to say to me? <laughs> that will not go well either. I know from personal experience. And so... So you know what, this is what you do. Relationships are a two-way street. You take care of your side of the street. Take responsibility, grow up. It's like, even if, like I said, if it's 2%, you're still 100% responsible for your 2%. Take, take responsibility. You let them deal with their side. Don't force, don't manipulate, just say, man, I'm, I'm jacked up, I'm a mess, I didn't respond to it appropriately, I wanna honor Jesus, I love you, I don't want anything to be between the two of us. See, a gentle answer turns away wrath, harsh words stirs up anger, Proverbs 15:1. I mean, imagine the healing. Oh, my goodness, just in that. That's what our Savior did for us. That's what our Savior did for us. Even more so, should we do that within, with not just within our own homes, but even outside of this, you know, with people. That's why he's saying, love your enemy. So, heavy stuff, heavy stuff. Okay, so blame shifting and then defensive. If you're unhealthy, you're gonna be defensive. I was, I was defensive for at least a couple decades. I mean, that was a long time. I mean, I really struggled with that because I had this idea of this holier-than-thou, self-righteous, had to have my act together instead of being teachable and open to feedback. And if you're emotional, emotionally healthy and secure in Christ, you're going to, in fact, be asking for feedback. One of the things that uh, we do as staff here, we have our staff meetings, we do a devotional, we pray for all the, the needs of the church, and then they, they report on their ministries. And then at the end of each one of those, uh, everyone on staff typically will say, uh, do, do I have any feedback? Anybody want to speak anything to me? That's, that's just really a great thing to do. Can, I, can you give me some feedback? How am I doing as your husband? How am I doing as, as a dad? I want to get better at this. I want to honor God. I want to make sure that I'm on track. Do you have any feedback for me? That's just really healthy. Oh, my goodness, that level of hum- humility. And I'll tell you what, when people do that, oh, my goodness, God's grace. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And then flatter. And healthy people flatter instead of speak the truth in love. Now listen to me. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank and look up here. This is what you need to know as it relates to speaking the truth in love. Any love that is afraid to confront is not true love. Any love that is afraid to confront is not true love, but rather a kind of emotional hunger, a selfish desire to be loved. Now it's interesting when he's talking about taking the speck out of a person's eye. I mean, I... I, Anybody ever get something in your eye and have to go to the ER? Oh my goodness. I went to the ER over here at Arrowhead and I got in there and they, they laid me down and, and they got a hammer and a chisel out. And I'm thinking, what in the world? No, they wouldn't do that. The, they'll wash my eye out. They use a little Q-tip. They use these big magnifying glasses and 
try to really look at it. And that's, that's the idea here. When we help someone out with their issues, you don't get a chisel and a hammer and pound away. You're, you're a Q-tip with a lot of TLC. That's how you confront people. That's how you deal with it. That's what he's talking about here. You still speak the truth, but you do it in such a loving way. Because you tell them, you just reinforce it over and over. Hey, I love you. This is, I, I, want, I want a healthy relationship here. So, so what it is is that you need to have uh, you need to have a cradle of security for your moments of vulnerability. And sometimes when they respond to you in a negative way, then you gotta go back to your cradle of security. You gotta keep building the security so that they understand, hey, I love you. This is part of us growing and maturing and I'm not in any way pointing fingers. I struggle too and here's my issues and as you're kind of working through that. And so that's that. So, so why is it important? He gives us the tree and its fruit analogy, and here they are. You are what you love. Verse 45, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And he uses this idea of heart. The word heart is used 900 times in the Bible as the control center of your entire self. It involves your core commitments, deepest loves, and the most foundational hopes that control your thoughts, feelings, and actions. Because what's deep in your heart, it controls your life. It controls your life, whatever's deep in your heart. So you could say the things that you love. I've heard, I used to hear it for years. You are what you think. Be careful about what you think. Well, it's actually much deeper than that because your thoughts are actually controlled by what you love. And what you love could also be defined as that what you most want. And what you must, most want would be defined as what's the good life to you and what, where do you find your deepest happiness ultimately. You may say, oh, Jesus is my deepest happiness. But deep in your heart, there might be something else that you're trying to find your happiness in. So you are what you love. That's why it says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What you love is what you worship. He uses verse 45, treasure. The Greek word there is the place where good and precious things are collected and laid up. So worship and treasure are kind of synonymous terms here. It means to give worth and value to something in such a way that it in, engages your whole person, your mind, your emotion, and your, and your will. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now listen to me. Listen. You gotta get this. This is what he's doing. He's trying to save us from a lot of heart heartache and from our hearts being broken. Because listen to me, you build your heart, you you treasure up, you treasure up your marriage up over and above treasuring Christ or your kids or how your kids turn out or how well your kids are doing or your bank account or any number of things. That's what he's saying. Don't treasure. Don't put your treasure in the things of this world. Put them in Christ. You put them in this world, it's a matter of time. They're going down, and they're going to bring you with them. That's what he's saying. That's what he wants us to understand. But if you put your treasure ultimately in Christ, if you love him with all of your heart, and you find your deepest satisfaction in him, then when things go south in your life, you'll have what is necessary to respond to those things. That's why the last point here on this, uh, why is it important? You might not love what you think you love because fruit doesn't lie. He says, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A tree is known by its own fruit. So let me ask you, what's, what's the fruit in your life? What's going on in your life? What's happening? Listen, if you're terribly despondent and depressed, anxious, angry, it's because you have a collapsing, temporal, counterfeit, pseudo-savior that you've built your life on. You've, you're treasuring up things on this earth as opposed to tr putting your treasure and your greatest pleasure in Christ. That's, that's what it's revealing. And, and we go back through this list. 
Do you have an authentic relationship with God? Are you discerning? Are you forgiving? Are you generous? Are you, are you open to confessing your weaknesses? Are you thriving? Are you growing? Is there a vibrancy in your life as you walk with him? Are you connected with others? Are you sharing your life with others? There's a closeness and vulnerability. You're taking responsibility for your life. Now listen to me. Listen to me. When are you going to stop nursing, cursing, and rehearsing your past at some point? And I understand there's a certain grieving process, and we all have to grieve the hits we take. But at some point in your life, you've got to say, wait a minute. I'm going to quit blame shifting. Yeah, I had a horrible past. These things happened to me. But praise God, by his grace, he can redeem my life. He can restore my life. He has reconciled me back to the Father, and I have all that I need in him. At some point, you've got to make that decision. You've got to say, wait a minute. No more blame shifting. I'm moving on. And then, hey, how am I doing? You've got some friends that can speak truth into your life, and then you can speak truth into their life. Let me, let me read to you this. It's a bit lengthy. Almost finished. Actually, we're not okay, but we're, I, I said that just to keep you with me here. But... Uh, <laughs> But listen to this. This is from uh, David Paul Tripp, New, Mer- uh, New Morning Mercies from a devotional. Listen to what he says. He's just kind of preaching the gospel to us here, and he says, why would you and I work so hard to hide or deny what has been fully, completely, and eternally forgiven? Why would we work so hard to pretend that we are something less than sinners when the message of the gospel is that Jesus loves and accepts sinners? Why would we hide in guilt when Jesus has fully borne our guilt? Why would we allow ourselves to be motivated by shame when Jesus willingly carried our shame? Why would we construct a false facade of righteousness when Jesus has given his righteousness over to our account? Why would we fear God's wrath when Jesus took the full brunt of God's anger for us on the cross? Why would we care what others will think of us if we're honest about our sin when the one who holds our destiny in his hands has accepted us as if we had never sinned? Why deny who we are and what we need when full provision has been made? Why act as if we're something that we're not when grace has met us right where we are? Why act as if we know if no one would understand when we have been given a faithful and understanding high priest who is sympathetic with all of our weaknesses, why act as if there is no hope for people like us when our Savior has conquered sin and death for us? Why sing the truths of the gospel on Sunday and functionally deny the gospel during the week in street-level acts of denial, excusing, and blame? Why would you defend yourself when a loved one points out a wrong or excuse yourself when you are caught? Why, in the face of wrong, would you work to soften the pain of conviction by debating the Holy Spirit's gracious prompting? Gracious prompting. Here's how we uh, be a person of integrity. How to be a person of integrity. Build your house on the rock. That's the analogy he gives us. Live for an audience of one. That's what he's saying. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do your own thing? It's like there's a, there's a disparity. There's a gospel gap. You call me Lord, and yet you're doing your own thing. You're not coming to me. You're not walking with me. I'm not in your life directing you, guiding you, guarding your life. You're not allowing me to do that. That's what he's saying. A few years ago, I heard a story of a man whose life had fallen apart after an affair, and while his wife was traveling, he would bring his mistress to his home, but his wife had placed so many of their wedding pictures around the house in every room that he would have to turn them over to keep himself from feeling bad. 
And why would he do that? Because, uh, because he was breaking his vow to his wife. He, he, he lacked integrity. His life was fractured. And of course, if his wife had been there, he wouldn't have uh, brought his mistress to, to his home. But, but what's fascinating about this story is that, that even the token of her presence, a picture, reminded him of the wrongfulness of it, and he had to suppress it. Now listen to me. You, you can't turn God's picture over. You can't turn his picture over. You live your life every day of your life, every moment of your life before the face of God. All of life is lived before the face of God. There is no place where God is not with us, Psalm 139. And if you understand that, you'll be a person of integrity. Now, if you're a Pharisee, you're trying to earn your salvation, that will be crushing. But if you have received salvation through Jesus Christ, that will be unbelievably comforting. Because you see, if someone you love is with you, yeah, it holds you accountable. You don't want to grieve them. You don't want to trample on them in any way. And yet it brings such delight. There's such delight. This is my favorite thing about the Christian life is that we have his presence. That's why I love what David says in Psalm 16, 8. He says, I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And then he goes on, he says, in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Not only when I, when I walk through my day knowing who it is that's with me, that walks with me through this day, I'm unshakable, I'm unbreakable. And not only that, I have a satisfaction that nothing in this world can give to me. Here's the next thing, is that if you're walking in the reality of that, this will give you, you will be authentic with, with all, but deep disclosure with a few trusted friends. 1 Peter 1.22, it says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What does it mean to be authentic? I gave you kind of a list there. Give up trying to please everyone in your life. Have the courage to express what you truly like or dislike, even if you think people won't like you, and acknowledge it openly when you get something wrong to, and avoid the temptation to hide and hurl. You know, I find it interesting here that every time I go to Costco, I run into someone who's been playing hooky from church for a while, <laughs> and they look like a deer caught in the headlights. So I pretend like I don't see him and then chase him around with my cart. <laughs> okay, I don't, I don't actually do that part, but, but I'm, I'm thinking, listen, I, I always want to say to him, hey, all of life is not lived before the face of Pastor Ray, but all of life is lived before the face of God. I'm the least of your worries. I'm the least of your I'm just pointing to him. Just get to know him. If you don't connect here at Desert Breeze, go connect at another church. But connect. Go somewhere. And then deep disclosure, do you have people in your life that I could go to, I could go to and ask them how you're doing, and they would tell me? And, and do you have people in your life, you've given them, uh, you have given them the okay to hold you accountable and to speak authoritatively into your life? That's what uh, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 is about. And then James 5, 16, it says, confess your faults one to another. Who do you, who do you spill your guts to? You need to have somebody. You need someone. And then they'll help us together. We do this. We call them life groups here. Storm-proof your life by integrating the gospel into every area of your life. Storms reveal whether your life is built on sand or rock. And this is just learning to integrate 
the scriptures into every aspect of your life. It's not a denial of sin or suffering, but it gives you that ability to, to endure that stuff. Integrity is the courage and the ability. This is what Pastor Scott told me this last week we were talking about, is the courage and ability to face the harshness of the reality of life without the structure of your faith and morality and character falling apart. We're gonna talk about faith next week. What, what kind of faith helps me with this kind of integrity in walking with God? Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just take a few minutes. I've gone long this morning, but that's just the way it is. This is the last service, and sometimes I do that. And so, bow your heads, close your eyes. What did Jesus do about the beams, the load-bearing timber in our eyes? He was nailed to it. He was crucified on it. It's only when you believe that you are saved in spite of your sin that you will have the emotional wealth to finally be able to admit your sin and humbly help others with theirs. So Father God, because by grace, through faith in your son, you completely forgive us and you will never hold our sins against us, Romans 8.1. Therefore, it makes no sense, makes no sense for us to hide, excuse, or shift the blame when we are faced with our weaknesses, our struggles, our sins. Denial is rooted in guilt, shame, and fear, but confession is rooted in hope, forgiveness, and cleansing. May we more and more live for an audience of one. You are glorious and gracious God. And out of that communion with you, may we be authentic with all and have deep disclosure with a few trusted friends as we stormproof our lives by integrating your word into every area of our lives for our joy and your glory in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said. Amen. Love you guys.